Welcome back, you guys, to Cookies and Milk, Bedtime Stories with me, Monica. How are you? It's been a minute since we've met up here on the uh, late night airwaves. <laughs> I think I've told you guys I've always thought about doing a, um, a live late night program and, and having people call in, but oof, gotta tell you, that song, The Freaks Come Out at Night, is really no joke. Uh, doing terrestrial radio, I have um, had the pleasure of, of being on the air into the evening, and after 11 p.m., it's kind of like, you know, nothing good happens past 11 p.m. It's kind of like the suburbs, right? My daughter used to tell me, Mom, the suburbs only breed, you know, uh, boredom and, and bad decisions. And to some degree, she's not wrong. How are you? You guys doing okay? I have gotten more messages and tweets recently about needing a cookies and milk. So here I am. I've missed you guys. Really, I have um, been busy. And I've also just, like many of you, um, you know, because I'm not immune to this, what I'm referring to as uh, this snow globe that we are all living in, that we find ourselves in at the moment of just this sociopolitical, complete universal upheaval. You have certain nations with, you know, with within the earth who are writhing in their railing and they are, you know, coming together to say, we've had enough of living under oppression. And, and then, and then our country here in the United States is, you know, yeah, my gosh, it seems like the majority, at least half the country, but it's not really that many. The minority, you know, is just so loud and magnified and makes the rest of us feel through this heisted election that, um, that somehow, you know, everything deviant, you know, is, is making its way to the forefront. And our kids hate capitalism. You know, they have this utopian love affair with all things socialist and equity and diversity and unity and all of these unicorn, you know, they sound very Christ-like in nature, um, but they could not be any further from uh, Christ-like nature. You know, no one likes to talk about you don't work, you don't eat is, is scriptural. And we would always have the poor with us is, is what Christ said. And so somehow the church abdicated her role in caring for the poor and the needy and really poor in spirit first to encourage people to hope. Hope is so powerful that it is the number one objective of the enemy of hope to steal your hope at any cost 
by any measure. When people say to me, particularly business people will say to me, hope is not a strategy, Monica. And I could not possibly disagree more. Now, hoping is not to the exclusion of action. But the Bible says that we serve the God of hope. Which means he is hope, right? And so for us to succumb to hopelessness is really to be taken captive by our enemy. And, and most of us, I would say, in today's political climate have become POWs. We are prisoners of war. And when we spend more of our days anxious, accusative, hurried, terrorized, somber, hopeless, negative, bitter, unforgiving, hateful, that's how you know you've been taken captive. So I I like to tell people, when people come to me for problem-solving advice, <laughs> I love it because it's, 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 it never feels as good as they think it's going to, right? Like they're waiting for this big professional response. And, and so you, my, my first task is to get a very clear understanding of where they are as an organization, as a marriage, as a family unit, <clears throat> excuse me, as an individual, as a believer, a church, um, a body, you know, a moving body that is supposed to be functioning um, at its highest capacity um, with the same objectives in mind, okay? And when people bump into each other and they bump into things and, and roadblocks and mindsets and, and, and there just seems to be this overarching, you know, um, tension that does not allow for productivity, and, and people want to know where the block is, right? And how do we push through this? But, but most people don't want to start with, well, we got to face where we are right now. Like, what is your actual position? That's really important, right? You guys know who have been in battle that when you're waiting for bombs to drop on your enemy and you're on the ground, it's really important for people to know exactly where you are, or at least, you know, within, I don't know, 50 meters so that you don't get taken out, uh, so that you're not misconstrued as, as you know, as, as your enemy. Uh, so communication and understanding exactly where you are is very important and it, and it can be very painful it can, you know, it triggers all kinds of denial, particularly in family dynamics, um, denial, frustration, accusation, again, bitterness, unforgiveness, you know, all of the things that, that, that just end up positioning us in a place where we come to the realization that we're just not 
functioning at our at our not only highest capacity but our desired capacity you know whether it's that you're not connected in your marriage you're not connected to your kids you're not connected your employees are not connecting and for the love of god what you see happening right now in corporate america is just this sociological capitulation to really the pacification of of serving this ungodliness called um codependency and my late pastor liked to describe codependency as, you know, calling that which is evil good in the name of love. Right? So people who have, I'll give you an example, people who want reparations, people who are not okay with their sexuality or their skin color or their pay or their sexual identity of the day or hour or week or whatever, their, their personal pronouns of the, you know, of the next 24 minutes. Um, whatever level of fluidity they're living on, if they're not if they're not at peace with themselves, they're not at peace with the world. They want HR to fix that. They want you to fix that. They want you to deal with that at work. And and corporate America is yielding to it, and that's codependency because no one's held accountable. You're just jumping in the sewer with people and their personal things, and but that is being conveyed to you as loving. And that's not loving. Again, prisoners of war. And if you don't believe that corporate America is at war with your average American, again, you don't know your position. Our position, I'll be really honest with you guys, in the natural, our position does does not look favorable for us to maintain our liberty. And you guys know, if you followed me on my regular podcast for any length of time, I'm not a hysterical woman. I'm not shouting at the sky. Sure. I get passionate. I cuss. I get in trouble with you guys, you holy sanctimonious ones. And I love you all, but yeah, I, you know, I, I use bad language at times because I do get passionate and it just comes out and it's never meant to defile you. It just is what it is. And uh, they're just descriptives, right? For just the level of what the hell that we're living on. And I'm, I get tired like the rest of you, but that's why I have tens of thousands of you who follow me and who would follow me to the end of a road and say, okay, where are we going now? And it's because you know I love you. I'm going to keep it real. When I don't have an answer, I don't have an answer. When I'm pissed, I'm pissed. When I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful. But at the end of every day, if I get on this microphone to speak with you, I don't want to defile you. I don't want to fear monger. And I do not want to leave you hopeless. I want to arm you and equip you with the number one tool of any society, of any group of people who have overcome being prisoners of war. Prisoners of war have a resiliency that is uncommon to most people. There's, and and I have... (laughs) You know, I look at God now and I'm like, okay, (laughs) I understand a little bit, you know, about my 
my humble beginnings and, and why I had the beginnings I did because there's a resiliency that has been, uh, that was, that was produced in me that, um, that I believe is God given. For some reason, not everyone taps into that resiliency. Not everyone's coping skills are the same. And right now, we all need some resiliency training and coping skills because you're living in unprecedented times in this country. Now, if you're over the age of 60, you've probably gone through a couple of things of this magnitude where you've seen the country writhing in, in, in upheaval. But I would venture to say this level of, aside from you know the Civil Rights Act, this level of complete anarchy, confusion, um, disinformation campaign, propaganda machines, the the media's complicit nature and criminal nature. And I understand their speech is protected uh, by the First Amendment, and I and I'm part of that industry, and I appreciate the First Amendment. But you'll note that. There, there are criminal implications for, for shining a false light on people, right? How many suits have we seen uh, settled recently in the way of disinformation campaigns that were sent to steal, kill, and destroy from people's lives? You guys like to call it the cancel culture. I don't call it the cancel culture because they're not here to cancel you. They're here to kill you, to steal from you, and to utterly destroy you because they're from the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of oppression. And the reason I say that with such authority and such uh, surety is because um, I work in this industry and because the kingdom of darkness does not produce fruit of light. The kingdom of darkness always seeks to lie, deceive, conquer, divide. That is the kingdom of darkness. And so it's very obvious when you have an industry filled with disinformation campaigns that um, there's no truth to be found there. That's why it's called disinformation. Something I really, um, you know, if I ever had an opportunity to speak with President Trump, um, you know, just meet me on the back nine. I would love that. Um, you know, I could use some help with my golf game. But if, but if I ever found myself in his presence and he asked for my opinion on something, I'd have a few things to say, actually. But, but what I'd really like to convey is when we spend the amount of effort that he has for the past four years mocking and reminding us of the disinformation, the fake news, um, we, we know that to be true. And I think it's important to keep your your finger on that pulse. But when you re, when you resort to a continual campaign of mocking, you have effectively diluted your message and the serious nature of the fact that your media is in fact complicit with the takedown of our country. It is very serious. Information is a high-stakes business. And it's all meant to steal from you. And the number one thing they want is your what? Your hope. It's your hope. And so your resiliency is going to be important 
more important for you to understand that most people today are in fact a prisoner of war. How many hours of your day do you spend being angry and frustrated and mocking and accusing, being bitter, being terrified, um, anxious? How many of you are on, you know, uh, medication over the counter and otherwise for, for otherwise, you know, um, symptoms of things that are direct result of how you're thinking and what you're hearing and what you're seeing. All of that is part of warfare. Do you understand that? All of these years, pastors have been saying, you know, especially people like Joyce Meyer, think what you will of her, but she's spot on with the battlefield of the mind. The battlefield is in the mind, and, and but it's always been geared toward Christians where the devil is concerned. And for those of you who are not Christians, you can still understand that there are forces within the universe that are not made of light. And their purpose will never be to bring light and truth and um, and liberty. That's not their purpose. It will appear as light, but it's not true light. And so people with a true north, with a spiritual compass, with a uh, divine compass, if you will, uh, people, those people tend to be more resilient and are le- a lot less affected by disinformation campaigns, neuro-linguistic programming, which occurs in your social media space. And what do I mean by that? You read something, you hear something, you see something enough times, your mind a- adopts it, it accepts it, you repeat it, you parrot it, it becomes a part of your normal vernacular. You've been had after a certain point. All of the ads that target you um, are not just based on your shopping preferences, they're based on your fears, your phobias, the things you like, your lust, your greed, you know, your hope, your joy, your fears, your deepest, darkest secrets. All of that has been aggregated to wage a war against you. And you know you're a prisoner of war when you can take a step back and observe yourself. Observe your thoughts throughout the day, your feelings throughout the day. What are the syndromes that you're dealing with? They're not actual diseases. They're syndromes, which are symptoms of of stinking thinking usually and stinking feeling. And what is it that precipitates that? Who is in what is the arbiter? Who and what is the curator really of your thoughts? And your feelings. It nothing happens in this country, in this world, without our consent. It may feel, especially whenever it comes to politics. And please don't go off the rails and, and take this into another direction of, well, of course things happen to people every day. Do you think children consent to being trafficked? No, I don't, but someone did. Someone consented to that person being trafficked. 
do I think rape victims consent to being raped? No, but someone consented to taking someone else's uh, physical agency, their sovereign territory called their body. Someone consented to molesting another person. Someone consented to carjacking or stealing or lying. So yes, policy is all about consent. Your elected uh, spineless you know, cowards right now sitting in your United States Congress and Senate, the majority of them, they are there by your consent. See, it's rough when you start to get honest about how we ended up prisoners of this war. And I'm, I'm telling you all these things because I believe that you are capable of exercising your God-given resiliency once you understand how you got there. It should encourage you, not accuse you, not keep you stuck, but it should really encourage you to take a step back, confess whatever your role has been in this mess of a snow globe we find ourselves in, Confess that to your creator, to yourself, to whomever. Just get honest about it and renounce it. Just turn. Repent from it, of it. Just move in a different direction and step out of your shackles. Make different decisions. I know, I know that sounds easy. Yeah, I'm making it sound easy. I know. I know that. But knowledge, recognition, confession, accepting exactly where you are, it is the first step in taking back your territory. It's the only way you can strategize effectively to understand the direction in which you need to move. And most of you now see all of the cards on the table from a very nefarious force in this earth that absolutely starts in the spirit realm and is simply manifesting itself and has been operating. It has been operating for years in this country and abroad. It is a behemoth. It is something that works underground. We have capitulated so much in this nation and and we've done it with pride. It's our national motto, for God's sakes. And I'm not hating on our country, that's for sure. But I've always kind of wondered about that. I'm like, well, let me think about this. If the word says that pride comes before fall, you know, maybe our national motto should be American gratitude, (laughs) right? It sounds a little weaker, but it's actually a very powerful position uh, from which to Exercise your jurisdiction in the earth. Gratitude. So part of your strategy with rebuilding your hope during a time of real hopelessness and despair in this snow globe we find ourselves in is finding a place of gratitude for those things in your life that you don't spend a lot of energy being thankful for. Simple things like the air you breathe, the clean water you have, 
running water in your homes, hot showers, electricity, transportation, communication. You have the ability to see and to hear and to taste and touch and smell and feel and breathe and think. You have the ability to move about for now. You have the ability to worship and practice your faith, whatever that faith is. You do have the ability to speak freely. You do have the ability to practice your hope in something far greater and higher than all the things that you see going on around you right now. And so something that helps me is to write out the things I'm grateful for. And I got to tell you, when I do that, I'm literally just blown away. And it so outweighs all the things that are so far outside of my perimeter, my immediate perimeter, that it builds that infrastructure that I need so desperately on the inside of my perimeter so that I can be a better functioning American Christian, daughter, mother, girlfriend, friend, whatever, when I, media personality, when I'm moving about my day. And at the end of the day, you guys, that's all you're going to have. You're, it, the, that's all you're going to leave in this, <laughs> in this, you know, temporal space, on this side of eternity what you're going to leave is, is your imprint, your legacy, your hope. If we serve the God of hope, what does that mean? And does your life reflect that? I watched a movie yesterday that I've, it has affected me so greatly that I can't, I can't really, I tried to articulate this today with a friend. I can't really put it together. Maybe, maybe in the coming days, but you know, it's almost so sacred and so private to me on some levels that I'm not sure I even want to journal that. I I just, I feel like it would almost diminish the impact it's had on me by, by writing it down. But I want, I want to share a little part of it with you. I want, I watched a movie, which which many of you have probably seen. I have never taken the time to watch it, but Memoirs of a Geisha. Very profound for this period of time, for me, that we find ourselves in as a civilization, and particularly in my country here in the States. And this beautiful, you know, just this beautiful young girl, and and no, you know, no spoiler, spoilers here, but... But, but the gist of, of the takeaway for me in that was that, you know, things got really ugly really fast. War hit her country, hit the world, um, and directly impacted her and her art form. And some of you just think of geishas as like glorified prostitutes, and, uh, and, and nothing could be further from the truth when it comes to an actual, the actual art form of, of geisha, right? And, uh, and yes, uh, some of them, um, part of that culture and practice 
was to sell your virginity to the highest bidder, right? And and I, I don't I don't want you to focus on that though, but I know some of you are thinking about that. And so don't let that pervert this message, all right? The beautiful part of that movie was that there was such a beauty and a God-given beauty in the art form of geisha that when it came to uh, a time of war, when everything was hopeless and and just a mess, it, their society had been overrun and their culture was changing rapidly. But this one art form what was something that was held in high regard and sacred by a few. It had, in fact, been hijacked by, you know, a lot of the girls pretending to be geishas because it became kind of a, um, oh gosh, what would you call it? Not only was it a for real commodity, um, but, but it was, um, it was a spoof almost. It was just like this cultural clown show, but, but this one particular, this one geisha, uh, who the movie revolves around, she, you know, she was out stuck in rice paddies during the war and, and didn't even know what was going on in the city. She fled the city she was from and raised in to become this beautiful, you know, human piece of art. Um, and, and, and just this movement, she was, she was just a body. She was, she was a body of, of work. And I say that with such love for music because I am a musician. And she was just this fluid body of work where, you know, her movements, her makeup, every single detail about her was an art form. And it was, it was honorable. And it had value. It had cultural importance and value. And it really wasn't until this particular wartime that that people reached back for that thing that was that was so intrinsic to this to this beautiful sacred piece of culture and i find myself during this war time in our country looking for that right you know what i mean I find myself looking for the beauty because it's so dark and it, and we have no idea what's coming. Well, I mean, we have an inkling and, you know, from chip manufacturing to, you know, you name it, all the ways we've sold ourselves to, you know, to our debtor, to our debt holders. Um, It's, you know, you just think, wow, we really are actually prisoners to some degree of, of war. This war has been raging for a while, but now it's coming to this heightened, you know, space, this climatic thing. And no one really knows, you know, we're being egged on daily, you know, the media and the, and the both sides of the aisle trying to usher us into a kinetic, you know, situation. And, um, which would just be the the finality of us, to be honest with you. Um, it's it's not in our best interest to take up arms against each other as countrymen and women. And whenever I think about searching for the beauty 
I think, you know, it's like, what are those things that are organic to us as Americans? You know, I mean, you can't even, I saw, you know, one of my fellow musicians, John Rich, is someone of Big and Rich who I follow on Twitter as well, and he follows me. And I noticed, you know, he was tweeting today that that there's a real fear in the music community of, you know, uh, you know, this just fallout from um, from the libs that are in the country music industry who are threatening the conservatives for standing with American principles and values that they would somehow cancel them, you know. And I thought, well, isn't that ironic that here are people who write these wonderful, wholesome, God-fearing, family-loving, country pie-baking, hot-dog-eating, beer-popping, and sand in my toes, and all that stuff. You know, I was a little girl, and we danced around the tree, and all this crap. And it's like it is. It just turns out to be crap, because at the end of the day, they're all for aborting babies, and rainbows and unicorns and you know he she them it we don't know everyone's equitable and fluid and who knows and uh, if you don't agree with us then we're going to cancel you and i'm like wow really you know like we knew people wrote your songs but you've literally made millions of dollars off of adoring fans who thought that you were what you sang about And at the end of the day, you're just a liar. That was really, you know, eye-opening for me today. And I'm a musician, and and I've, you know, I've been Grammy nominated. I vote for the grant. I have voted for the Grammys for years, and um, I don't any longer. It is an industry that you can have. It, it is not anything that I want to be a part of. If I sell music in the future, and I and I do right now on my website, by the way. How do you like that plug? Um, but that's something I'll do on my own. I don't need I don't need a distributor to tell me what I can and can't who I can and can't worship and how and when and I can't fly my flag and I can't sing my anthem and I can't, you know, uh adore my troops and salute them and, you know, law enforcement and you know, tell you that the whole George Floyd thing is a bag of crap. You know, no, I'm not gonna have a record label tell me that. I'm not gonna have fans tell me that. People get aggravated whenever I tell people, if you don't like what I say, don't follow me. Like, aren't you scared of your sponsors leaving? I'm like, well, any sponsor who would leave me over something like that doesn't need to partner with me. I'm I'm fine with that. That's okay. You have to be willing. You have to be willing to stand no matter what. And I'm just here to tell you, there's a beauty in that. There's real, tangible beauty in standing in hope, in courage, in enthusiasm, in complete resolve that you're not going to move, that you cannot be moved to hating your neighbor, that you cannot be moved to living in terror, that you cannot be moved to be anxious every day of your life, you cannot be moved to be afraid of your boards of education, that you cannot be moved to say that a man is a man and a woman is a woman, that you cannot be moved in helping restore this nation in the smallest of ways based on hope, based on pure grit and resolve that you see that black is black and white is white and up is up and down is down. 
There's a real beauty in that. So I just want to encourage you tonight. You are the beauty. You are the hope of this nation. You. You have to own that. It's not your elected. It's not the president, whoever that is. It is It is not your Senate. It is not your Congress. It's not your governors. It's not your AGs. It's not your pastors. It's not your teachers, your professors, your boards of education, your law enforcement. It's not your military. It's you. You are the hope and the beauty of this nation. Without you, without you declaring and resolving in your soul that without you, this country ceases to exist. You have to resolve that and that you're going to live your life serving the God of hope. You're going to live undivided. That's a really powerful place to be. I love you guys. Thanks for joining me. And thanks for staying on my butt about doing a cookies and milk tonight. <laughs> I do miss you. And, uh, you know, just working, working, working over here. So keep me in your prayers. You know, I keep you guys in my prayers. And I love getting your prayer requests. Monica at MonicaMatthews.com. And, uh, yeah, remember, be good to your neighbor, beginning in your own mirror. And if you're an American, act like one. I just hope your heart's full. Your heart's full.